Bwana Yesu asifiwe. Habari zenu? Okay. I will change the language. Uh, I would like to take this opportunity to greet you in the mighty name of our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm Mark, coming from Kenya. This morning, I want to bring the word of God from the book of James, chapter 5, verse 7 through 12. But we cannot take all those passages today. We will just look at verse 7, verse 8, and verse 9. I want to speak about Jesus, the true judge. Jesus, the true judge. And before maybe I read the word of God and maybe I start discussing about this great passage, I want to tell you or bring to you the true story. The true story which happened in our lives or the true story which has happened in our family and the true story which has affected me as a person and the other people who are close to me. Now, I want to talk about my brother who died last year. And this is how I will, I will begin, or maybe I start. Last November, my brother, Elisha Masikandino, died under unusual circumstances while working for the government in Uganda. He had gone to university and had earned his BA in agriculture. At that time of his death, he was employed as a district agricultural officer in Buko district. He was married to Pena, and God has placed them with three kids. Two boys, 14 years, 11 years, and one girl who is three years. Elijah was a very hardworking and influential person in his government job, but more importantly, he was committed to Christian life, and he was also a pastor of one of the churches I started in Uganda. Elijah's journey that ultimately led to his death because when president of Uganda, that is Yoherim Seveni, initiated a program to help the underprivileged people in the country. The present, the present plan had a budget of millions and millions of money. And because of the complexity of this project, or the complex of this project, the government needed a sharp and committed person from each district to oversee this project. In each district, were allocated money, and they needed a person who was sharp to oversee the project. Because my brother was so smart, committed, and faithful to his work, he was given the responsibility to manage the project in the district. But his appointment to, he, to this very important role angered the supervisors, and they realized that they had been passed over for the job. In other words, his supervisors could not take it well. So out of 
Envy, they started fighting him, frustrating him, undermining him. When he was planning to do his job, nothing could work in the district. They were undermining him throughout the district. This went on from, for one year. Throughout that time, they put pressure on him to resign. And when he refused, they maligned his name every opportunity they get around the district. This went on and on. At this time, when the tension between my brother and this man were very high, my brother was called in a meeting to review the result of 2022 as they plan uh, 2023. This was November last year, just four months ago. During this meeting in November, after having been served lunch, my brother was seated in a chair about to give his report, which some assumed will reflect poorly on his supervisors. In other words, people knew that something is cooking. And my brother was seated there, wanted to give a report. But just as he stood to deliver his report, he suddenly collapsed on the floor unconscious. The people in the room did all they could do to rescue him or save him. It was too late. After 20 minutes, my brother was pronounced dead. The other supervisors in the room showed no concern over his death. The official reports from forensic tests were said to be inconclusive. But the symptoms of the death make it appear likely that he was poisoned. It would appear that someone in the forensics division was bribed and tempered with the test. So no one is being held responsible for my brother's death. We don't know how it went. But what we do know, he's no more there. He died. My brother was a very hardworking guy. He was joyous. He was smart. He loved people. He was very influential in the community, as well as the whole district. He was loved and respected by both people in the church and outside the church. In other words, he was a, a guy who was known throughout. Even small kids knew about Ndinho. When he would come around, people were shouting the name, Ndinho, Ndinho, Ndinho is around, Ndinho is around. People knew him. Now, on the following Sunday, when people went to church, they gathered at the church. There was no service. Instead, there was a day of mourning as the congregation spent the full day, full day just crying about this guy. Which means he was deep in their hearts. They knew his commitment. They knew how influential he was. And this guy from the church did not bother to have a service. But they just said, it's a time of mourning. From 8 a.m., they cried until 6 p. 
p.m. in the evening, and then they went home without having any worship service. Because they were crying about the person whom they know. My brother was a very hardworking guy. He was, he was a person committed. He was a person doing whatever he was wanted to be, uh, to be done, both on his duty and even in the church. It is very uh, difficult losing such a, uh, a beloved brother and the church leader. It is even more difficult feeling like those in authority were not even concerned when my brother died. They knew about it, but they were not concerned about it. They were, they, 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 they were just there. In fact, when you, you, you approach them, they could not tell you anything as concerned his death. And up to now, I don't know. And up to now, the family is not yet satisfied to how my brother died. It is even worse when you know those, that some people have such a, like, a, a, a lynch on him, a clinch on him towards him, and may have had a motive of covering such like a potential murder, it, it is quite pathetic. It's quite pathetic. We will never know why he died or who was responsible. That one, we don't know. We only know that this man, my brother, who was deeply loved and respected, by those who know him, is dead. That's the only thing we know. But I want to ask you a question. How will you respond if you experience such a, like, a thing in your life? How will you handle it? How will you process it? How will you channel through the decision-making and bringing everything to calm? That's the question. Well, we can learn also from his wife. His wife experienced all the emotions that we go through if we have lost the beloved one. As she grieved, her sadness turned into anger. At a point, she even vowed to get revenge by killing her husband's supervisors. This is what she said. She even went as far as saying she wanted to join the army just to learn how to shoot. And then after knowing that tactics, she comes back and kills them by herself. Guys, I also tried my level best to find justice to the death of my brother, but it did not happen. Up to this time, we are still asking ourselves what happened. And maybe tomorrow, we'll still ask ourselves the question, what happened? We don't have an answer. I also made five separate trips from Kenya to Uganda, seeking justice for my brother and his family without help from anyone. I remember seated in Uganda, and the people who were interrogating me and asking me questions, there were like 500 people, and I was alone. But I tried my level best to defend the family and to do whatever I know it was to be done. It was a, pain, a painful, it was very painful that I was also tempted to mob or to organize those churches in Uganda and those people who were around 
me morning, I was tempted also to organize them so that we can do a demonstration in that city. Because I was overwhelmed by whatever was going on. To a lesser extent than my, uh, than my sister-in-law, I was filled with anger and a desire also to revenge. But do you know what? I came to notice that that is not the way. I came to realize that that is not the path to take. Why? I'm a Christian. I'm a pastor. That is not the answer. Because none of those will bring about the justice and the peace that we desire. They will only create more injustice and more turmoil, more retaliation and more vengeance for nothing. But God has an answer. I realize that God, whom I serve, God who has saved me, God who created me has an answer. And because God has an answer, then that was the pathway to justice. That was the pathway to justice. As we find as we can find that in James chapter 5. Our passage this morning, where we see that James' central message to the believers is this. James is trying on to say, justice, justice will never and ever be a reality until Christ comes. But when he comes, he will make all things right at the end. Now, in other words, James is saying, yes, you are looking for justice elsewhere. Yes, you are being uh, pushed and you are, you are feeling pains and you are running here and there wanting to see where justice comes. But here James is saying justice will never, ever, ever happen on the world until Christ comes back. So which means Jesus Christ is the true judge. And soon and very soon he's coming. And that's not the, 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 the way how we can handle it. As believers, we suffer. As believers, we may grief patiently, focusing on his second coming. In glory, and settle all things, and bring justice to this fallen world. And that is our expectation as Christians. And that is our cry as Christians. That Christ come because you are the true church. You are the true justice. Come. That's our cry as Christians. And when the Lord comes, he will condemn the, uh, and charge the unrighteous. He will condemn and charge the unjust. He will condemn and charge the unfair people. People who are admitting injustice to you and to me as a person. Christ is coming. He is not coming to show any partiality. He is coming to judge the world, passing on his own standard. And he will never ask for your evidence. He will never ask for a testimony before he judges you because he knows he is coming. The Lord is coming. So, James, after addressing the rich people in verse 1, James chapter 5, verse 1 through verse 6, after addressing the rich people and warning them, then he turns around and talks about the impatience in our lives as Christians. In this passage, 
we will see that James gives us two factors leading to patience in the face of injustice or in the face of suffering. He is saying, look here, these are the factors you should pass on as Christian as you go through suffering, as you go through pains. These are the factors. Can you realize them and stand for them? If I can just read through as you, you follow. This is... Uh, James chapter 5. I want just to read verse 7 through verse 9. The Bible reads, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the, the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. Verse 8. You also, you also be patient, establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Verse 9, to not crumble against one another, brother, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. So when you look at this, verse 7 and verse 8, James is talking about the coming of the Lord. And then verse 9, he's talking about the judgment of the evil. James will go on to illustrate this in the lives of the prophets in verse 10 and even apply in the areas of their speech. When you read verse 10, you can see he's applying this in the life of the prophet because the prophets did not even live a good life. They, left a, they, they lived a painful life altogether. But our focus this morning, we are going to focus on verse 7 through verse 9 uh, and the factors that James says lead to the prophet being able to be patient. That is where we are going to maybe have our time. Discussion is from verse 7 through verse 9. Now, this brings us to the first factor in verse 7 through verse 8, the coming of the Lord. The coming of the Lord. James tells us in verse 7 that we must be patient until the coming of the Lord. And when you turn to verse 8, at the end of verse 8, he's saying, reminding us that the coming of the Lord is at hand. Now, we need to be patient until he comes, but in verse 8, he's saying the, the coming of the Lord is at hand. What does James mean by saying the coming of the Lord is at hand? Well, when you go back to the book of Mark, chapter 11, verse 1, where Mark describes for us Jesus' approach to Jerusalem. Mark says that they drew near to Jerusalem, that his arrival was at hand. So the Lord is coming, or he's at hand means he's nearby. He has not arrived yet, but he can arrive any minute. The minute which you do not expect, he can arrive. He can arrive at any minute. When we were doing mission work in, in Tanzania, they were singing a song. And this song was that around the corner, Jesus is coming. Around the corner, Jesus is coming. And the chorus was, be ready, be ready, he's coming. 
And that is the beauty of what James is saying. That Jesus Christ is coming. And if Jesus Christ is coming, the question is, how ready are you to receive him? How ready are you? That the Lord is coming. It's at hand. He has not yet arrived. But the word which I say, he's not yet arrived, is because we have, he's not yet arrived whereby we can see him face to face. That's the point here. And this reminds me, in 2019, when I was going to Kansas City for graduation from Exposure Seminary, we flew out from Atlanta to Kansas City. And when we arrived at the city, before we landed, the weather was not good. It was bad. So we went round in circles in the air for 30 minutes. But those people who were prepared to receiving us, they were not seeing us. Yes, we have arrived. But because we have not landed so as to, to, to be picked by them, for them, they say, no, they have not arrived. For, but for us, we had already arrived in Kansas City, but because of bad air, <laughs> weather, we had not landed. So that is the, the, the whole point here when I say Jesus Christ has already arrived. And because he has already arrived, the, the remaining part is for us to see him face by face. And he's coming. And I say it around the corner, he's coming. So, in the same way, Christ has already arrived. As he is living in believers' hearts, but he has not yet appeared to us so that we can see him physically. We can see him face to face. But he has already arrived. He has already arrived. You know what? Christ does not need a parade. Christ does not need maybe a procession. Christ does not need a band whereby they can sing to him so as to arrive at a location in which he wants to go. He, cannot, he doesn't need those. For him, he has already arrived. He lives, he dwells in our hearts. So, Christ is always with us as a silent guest or a listener in our conversation. He's there. Even today, he's within us. Christ is there. He is near and close enough to appear to his people. We need to keep our minds to the time of his coming and this ought to let us be patient. If our minds are focused on his coming, if our hope is focused on his coming, then it tells us that we need to be patient because at any time he can come. And if at any time he can come, then the question is, how are you prepared to receive the king of kings? How? And then when you read James chapter 5, verse 7, through verse 8. Be patient, therefore, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of earth, being patient about it until it receives the, earth, the, uh, the early and the late rains. You also be patient, establish your heart, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Now, James reminds us to be patient with the critical people. James reminds us 
to be patient with mean people. James reminds us to be patient with, with egocentric and hypocritical people who are always administering injustice in our life. That be patient with them because you don't know, maybe you will be crumbling at that time and Christ comes. And when he comes at that time and you are crumbling, guess what? Verse 9 is going to say, he's coming to church. The evil. So he's telling us that we need to be patient. However, sometimes people who are facing grief, and some, or sometimes they are, uh, they, are, they are facing difficult uh, situation, they may not listen to you when you say be patient. Why? Thus they will say, we are not concerned about them in their, in their time of pain or in their time of suffering. Why? Because humanity, human beings, don't want to be patient. They want to rush. Every time, rush, rush, every time. But James is saying, look, this only way is to be patient. Just as the Bible teaches, that as we build our view on his second coming, we are required to be patient because we are building our life. We are building our life with the expectation that the Lord is coming. And therefore, if the Lord is coming, there, you are, you, 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 your heart should be prepared to be patient to receive him. And what is he saying here? He's saying this. Christians who are mistreated at their workplace because of their faith in Christ they need to be patient. Those not being paid well at their workplace are to be patient and be optimistic that things may change for better. Those who are struggling to educate their kids are called to be patient and be understanding of the situation that they are living in. And even those who work are multiple chops to make ends meet you are required to be patient, for the true justice is coming. Now, in conclusion, what he's saying here, he's saying you are mistreated, yes. You are, pay, pay, you are not being paid well, yes. You are struggling to educate your children, yes. You are working multiple jobs so that you make ends meet, yes. But the bottom line, be patient. Be patient. Now, the question is, how can one be practicing patience? How can one be practicing patience? Well, when you go back to verse 7, verse 7 says, As a farmer waits for his crops, he is filled with patience to wait for the season and period of harvest. He's giving us a picture which we all know, which we all we can understand in the process. He's pictured into a farmer as he waits. For when he becomes impatient, that farmer, when he becomes impatient, then he should know that he does not have the power to change anything in order to get a good yield. He doesn't have the power to change the season to have good yields, which he wants. A farmer tills the land. The farmer plants the seed. 
the farmer plucks the weeds. The farmer mends the fences to keep away those who contaminate the crop. But still, he is expected to wait. It doesn't matter that when he fixes the fence and doing what, then things are going to work the next hour. No. He is just grooming his crop so that when that time comes, he has confidence to harvest what he has been waiting for. He has confidence. That's what he's doing. And as Christians, we should follow the example of the farmer to wait for the justice to come by our Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, my brother died. It might be that they poisoned him. Or it might be that he just died a natural death. Who knows? It is only God who knows. Who knows? It is God only who knows. And because God through the Son, the Son who is the true judge is coming, then it does not bother me more to stand and actually speculate and push the government of Uganda about justice. I understand that the chief, or the chief justice who is coming, the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings is coming and is going to settle everything once and for all. He's coming. And because he's coming, we need to be patient. If we suppose good approval, then we should depend on the wisdom of God, depend on him, and wait upon him. The Bible says we can do all things, all things, through him who strengthens us. You should be patient as you go through humiliation. You should be patient as you go through various trials and suffering in your life because you don't have any capacity to change the circumstances. Don't have. That is because you don't have that. You don't have any capacity, any, any, any ability to change what God has ordained in your life. Instead, James is telling us, let us just be patient. Let us just be patient. Now, as believers, we should trust the Lord in every situation we pass through. Trust the Lord, knowing that he understands our circumstance. He understands where we are. He understands what you are going through. He understands where you stand. He understands your struggle. And because he understands your struggle, he tells you, he calls you, that you need to be patient. Maybe you are a student at school and things are not working up. Just be patient. Maybe you are ahead of school and the kids are not behaving well. Just be patient. Maybe you are working under the company whereby, because of your faith, <laughs> you are suffering. Just be patient. Be patient. Be patient. He's coming. The Lord is coming. So, we should just, as believers, we should trust the Lord every situation we pass through. For our God is a God of the valleys and a God of the mountains. It's a God whereby when you are experiencing bad moments, it does not mean that God has, has, has ran away from you. 
When we experience moments whereby you cannot stand, moments where you can say, oh, it is overwhelming on me, it does not mean that God has deserted you. It is just a moment, the storm you are passing through. But what I tell you is that is the court of the valleys, and at the same time is a court of the mountains. He is there for you. He will be there for you. For, so, notice what Paul says. In Romans chapter 10, verse 11. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. Now, underline that what everyone who believes. And also underline the word will, that's future. He's talking about uh, the future. Yes, we can be going through whatever we are going through. But look, in the future, the future is still bright. But you know what? Paul is not saying we will not encounter humiliation now. He's not saying we cannot experience shame now. He's not saying we cannot experience grief and humiliation and suffering now. That is not the point of Apostle Paul. But what he does mean is that we will not face shame at his second coming. For our salvation and our hope is secure in his hand. He's looking at the circumstance. But he's pointing our thinking to his second coming. That yes, here you can experience whatever you are experiencing. But look, he's coming. We are not going to experience shame when he comes. Now, first Peter. First Peter chapter one, verse thirteen. Therefore, Preparing your mind for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ, at the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. Set your minds there, there. set your thoughts there because Christ is coming. Though we face suffering and injustice, we need to know that Jesus is the founder and perfecter of our faith. So, we need not to set our hope on our own efforts. We, not, we need not to set our hopes on our strength, but put our hope on the grace of God in anticipation that he's coming. Our hope should be rounded. Our hope should be purely about the future. Now, I normally tell people that a Christian does not live in the past tense. A Christian does not live in even present tense. A Christian lives in future tense. Every time we are expecting him to come. But don't, don't forget, the present life is purely on how we were. And right now, where we are, we are expecting him to come. We live in future. We don't live in present or, or past. That's why uh, James is saying, he is coming. And if he is coming, we, can look, we cannot look backward. We look where uh, our eyes are fixed. He's coming. The Lord of Lords is coming. So uh, we need not to set our hope on our, ourselves. For he himself promised that when he comes, he will make all things right. He is bringing true justice for he is our comfort and refuge. I don't care if my brother was murdered. I don't care. But what I care, he is our refuge, and he's coming. He will not spare them. 
if they did it. Because he's not going to church with partiality. He's going to church as a true church. And he's going to administer that as the king of kings. So, Jesus is coming. And he will certify each, of, each one of us in his administration. When he comes, there will be no complaints. When he comes, there will, no, there will be no tears, grief, suffering, humiliation, and other things. When he comes, he's coming to settle everything in his administration. And everything will be okay. Will it be okay? So this brings us to our second point. Verse 9. Judgment of the evil. Judgment of the evil. In verse 9, it reads, To not crumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the church is standing at the door. Now, James understands the hard situation of these guys. When you read this book from the start, you understand that James knows their situation. They were passing through hardships, which may lead them to crumble, to complain, protest, or cry out for justice. The frustration they were going through could easily lead them to complain and criticize other people. I don't know what you are going through right now. I don't know. But what I do know is that we are living on a fallen world and we are passing hard times. And because we are passing hard times, you may not, you may not experience the way I experienced my, 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 my brother to die, but maybe you are experiencing other things altogether. Because we are living on the fallen world, and the, the world does not have justice. The world does not have that freedom that we as Christians, we may express ourselves and go near to them and say, now we want justice. Justice is only, and it is only in the hands of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he's coming. He's coming. That's my confidence. And because he's coming, why should I complain? Because he's coming, why should I crumble? Because he's coming, why should I be perplexed or whatever is going on? So, we live in a world where many festive it and are distressed. And as a result, they complain about their situation. Before their fellow Christian, fellow friends, they complain about that. But we need to be advised that our pardon should not make us feel unhappy. And when people don't show compassion to us, then we need not to complain. We need not to complain. Guys, our defeat should not lead us to envy or blame other people or blame fellow Christians, but we should take full responsibility. We should take full responsibility. Why? Why should we take full responsibility? The answer is just, is just there. James says, so that you may not be judged, because behold, judgment is at hand. The answer is just there. 
So if you, if you don't want to be charged, then don't complain. Then don't crumble. Don't point fingers to, to your friends or fellow believers when you are being mistreated in one area or another. Don't do that. James wants us a that because even believers are going to be charged, or let me say, even believers are going to be tested. However, Christian judgment is not a judgment of condemnation. Christian judgment is not a judgment of criticism. We are not going to be condemned so that we can be thrown in hell, but we are going to be tested. Because we are saved and God's wrath has been completely satisfied as the cross through the death of our Lord Jesus Christ. The wrath of God has been satisfied by the death of our Lord Jesus Christ. This shows us our reception in the kingdom of God and our security in eternal peace with God. God has welcomed us in his kingdom at the expense of Christ's death and he keeps and sustain us in his kingdom for his own glory. In other words, I'm saying, God, when he, he reached down to reconcile us back to him, it was only because of his own glory. We cannot prack around, say we are saved, because salvation starts with him and ends with him, and he knows why he saved you. He saved you for his own glory so that you can worship him. So if that is the case, then we only glory in Christ. We only glory in Christ. We are course, uh, because Christ has satisfied God's wrath. This shows our reception that we are going to be with him. God has welcomed us in his kingdom at the expense of Christ's death. As Christian, the Bible says that we will still face time of God testing. God is going to test us. He's going to test our works. If you want to read, you can read Proverbs. Chapter 17, verse 3. But more importantly, First uh, Corinthians. First Corinthians chapter 3, verse 10 to 15. Yes, we understand. This is a slogan which every time we prog around and we say, and of course, I'm not refuting it, it's, it's, it's the truth of the matter. We normally say, once saved, always saved. That's a tick. That's 100%. But we forget that though once saved, always saved, we forget that God is coming to taste our works. We forget that, that portion. And this is what I'm bringing to your attention. Yes, once saved, always saved. But according to this passage, God is going to evaluate our work and we may serve a loss of the rewards. How one responds to the issues of injustice and suffering is part of God's evaluation when he comes. Let us not respond to our suffering by pointing fingers to other Christians or accusing them for not being compassion in one way or another. We should not do that. It does not please God or glorify God 
And most importantly, this is not what God has, uh, the desire of God. And God has never designed that to, the, to his people or in his kingdom. He has never designed that. God has placed you where you are so that you can magnify him, so that you can worship him, so that you can glorify him. That's why he has placed you. Sometimes we complain by pointing at other believers, but maybe, maybe God has placed those people where you are for your sanctification. It's not just a by chance. You are complaining about these people, but God has placed them in your life for your own sanctification. Why? He died for them the way he died for you. And God does not make mistakes. And when they are there, <laughs> why are they there? They are there so that you can be sanctified. And I told, I told the other group, I said this, that if God wants to teach you how to laugh, he should give you a stubborn neighbor so that every time when you wake up, he's on your neck. And then because you are a Christian, God is pointing, how are you going to love this person? Because maybe he's there to teach you a lesson. But we, because you are adamant, you are not hearing the voice of God. So these people whom you are passing through, these people whom you are interacting with, God has placed them there for your sanctification. Let us not point fingers and complain, crumble about them. Because God has given us the opportunity to serve one another. And complaining or crumbling makes us miss these virtues that God has given the church. Now, these virtues God has given the church and the church should cherish them. For example, the fruit of the spirit. God has given the church. And that the church should actually, it means a laugh, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And do you know what? Such a like virtues, we don't have what? We don't have law because they are written in our hearts. And in, the, in our hearts, Christ was in our hearts. He wants you to exercise them because you are God's children. But you cannot do that on your own. You cannot do that by your own ability. We can do all things through him who strengthens us. So, the Lord is coming very soon to bring true justice, and we need to be focused as believers to welcome him. How are you prepared to welcome our king of kings? How are you prepared to welcome the true justice who is soon and very soon coming? Let us not uh, uh, pace our faith. Let us not pace our faith and judgment on human philosophy. Let us not pace uh, our judgment on human idea when we think about justice. For they will never bring true justice. They will never. I may fight the Ugandan government because of my brother who died. But I don't think... The bottom line that you can't come and will bring justice. It is only God who will bring justice. Therefore, let us not be focused on the standard of the world and the thing that through them then will gain uh, justice. I urge you 
to be patient for the true justice is being brought by our Lord Jesus Christ. So let us prepare well as we receive our King of Kings. The question is, how are you prepared? Or you are one who is grumbling, you are one who is complaining, you don't have that patience. I challenge you today. But let us admit the patience in one another as we wait King of Kings to come to bring true justice on this world. Let's pray. Lord, we understand that you are coming soon and very quickly with your rewards in your hands to reward each man according to his work. We know the world has no justice and we pray that it is only you who is just and righteous in your judgment. So Lord, we wait eagerly for your coming so that those who are with grief and suffering in their life might have true justice. Oh Lord, we pray. You help us not to look for justice in any other way of this world, for they are not satisfying in any way. For worldly standards are lacking, and they do not measure to your true standard of justice. Lord and our God, have mercy on us by pointing us to you and you alone, for you are the true justice now and even time to come. As you come, Lord, let us not wait until the last hour so as to make our decision. But let us decide now, for you are the true church. The world is equally waiting for. This is so because the world is longing for true justice. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.